Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Bid Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Mielogine. Today on the show, I'll be talking about how seven months after the January 6th riots at the US Capitol, new reports now indicate that the Department of Homeland Security, the DHS, is considering outside firms to analyze social media as a way to avoid the intelligent failures that led to the infamous riot. Thank you for your time. Let's get to it. Okay, so the elaborate security and intelligence networks that were set up after the 9-11 terrorist attacks in the U.S. to identify and thwart threats to national security failed ahead of the January 6th Capitol riot as law enforcement did not act on credible and actionable intelligence about potential violence to prevent the assault. So offices spread across the country that share intelligence among federal, state, and local law enforcement pointed out alarming online discussions about weapons in the days before the January 6th rally in Washington, D.C. An FBI field office reported a rallying call, a rallying call for war, and the, the person was sharing maps of the Capitol. And all of this was happening on online messaging boards before the January 6th riot. The Department of Homeland Security also warned about the heightened potential for violence in the run-up to that rally, although no mention of um, specific threats regarding January 6th, 2021. So while the information was being shared, a multi-point warning system actually broke down failing to generate sufficient follow-up as officials spotted and dismissed these signals while missing others entirely, according to interviews with both current and former officials and also a review of internal government documents. So the result was that the extensive local and federal law enforcement network that protects Washington, D.C. was never fully prepared leaving the usually heavily guarded city center vulnerable to attack. So that assault then came in the afternoon of January 6, 2021, when a pro-Trump mob stormed the Capitol as Congress was preparing to certify President Biden's election victory. A national summary from the Department of Homeland Security's Office of Intelligence and Analysis, I&A, that was sent to law enforcement agencies across the country on January 5, 2021, actually read, quote, nothing significant to report. And this is according to a copy that was reviewed by the Wall Street Journal. So that office, the Office of Intelligence and Analysis, I&A, is responsible for monitoring threats online and then sharing them with federal, states, and local law enforcement agencies all over the U.S., some of the January 6th violence, in which five people died, was spontaneous and chaotic, but the government's prosecutions of the alleged rioters cite some evidence of coordination and planning to disrupt Congress by members of far-right fringe groups such as the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, and the Three Percenters. Four government watchdogs and several congressional committees are now scrutinizing a response that amounts to one of the biggest lapses since the federal security apparatus was overhauled following the 9-11 attacks nearly two decades ago. 
So that restructuring created DHS and its intelligence branch, among other changes, as a way to better pinpoint the threats to national security and also coordinate responses to these threats. So there are two main reasons why the mob was able to reach the capital and then overwhelm a security force chiefly made up of members of the Capitol Police. First, on January 5, Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser urged federal agencies not to send additional forces without consulting local police. And this was because after um, racial justice protests in which heavily armed security forces clashed with protesters outside of Lafayette Square near the White House seven months prior on Monday, June 1, 2020. Second, the Capitol Police declined Pentagon's offers of National Guard reinforcements ahead of time, although a small group of D.C. Guard troops were deployed to augment policing in other parts of the city of Washington, D.C. However, the inability of law enforcement to fully mobilize demonstrates how a system that is chiefly designed to protect against terrorist attacks emanating from abroad struggles to confront violent domestic extremism, which the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security have both identified as among the most serious terror threats facing the United States. Law enforcement officials have expressed frustration on their inability to effectively deal with domestic terror threats. Back in episode 47, I presented the high-profile legal dispute that happened between the FBI and Apple back in 2016, five years ago, following a deadly mass shooting in San Bernardino, California, when the FBI unsuccessfully asked for Apple's help to unlock the terror suspect's iPhone, which then led the FBI to seek outside help to that effect. U.S. officials are still constrained in their ability to monitor communications between those who may be intent on violence, and they also lack the sweeping surveillance powers against U.S. citizens that they can use overseas. No catch-all federal domestic terrorism statutes gives officials greater power. So that means authorities can do little to intervene preemptively without evidence of a planned violent act or other crime. The torrent of um, online and social media communications also means it can be difficult to distinguish online bluster from a genuine threat, and some current and former officials pointed to a broad reluctance to take on any preemptive action against former President Trump supporters who came to Washington, D.C. for a permitted political rally on the ellipse near the White House, where the former president spoke that day. So both the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security said they did not issue a joint intelligence bulletin because they had no specific credible threats about January 6th. Both agencies said they shared information they had with other law enforcement agencies. The FBI, aware of the potential for trouble, discouraged some people thought to be violent agitators from traveling to Washington, D.C. for that rally specifically. The FBI set up 24-hour command post at the Washington, D.C. field office and headquarters 
about a mile from the capital, and also put tactical teams on standby, which it had not done for two earlier pro-Trump marches. A spokeswoman for DHS's um, intelligence unit declined to comment on the summary that the unit issued on January 5, 2021. She said she did not know in advance what former President Trump would say at the rally and that, quote, national figures would be encouraging action against the Capitol and government officials. Former President Trump has denied responsibility for the violence and his lawyers have said he did not incite it. Officials in the Department of Justice, as well as Capitol Police officials, have said that they underestimated the potential for Trump supporters to rampage through the Capitol, thinking the event would be like the two other earlier pro-Trump rallies in Washington, D.C., which saw only isolated violent incidents. Mayor Bowser has acknowledged that security failures occurred and has since called for Congress to appoint a non-partisan commission to hold officials accountable. Following the 9-11 attacks almost two decades ago, the U.S. government created fusion centers in every U.S. state and territory to improve intelligence sharing between local, state, and federal law enforcement as well as emergency response agencies. On Monday, January 4, 2021, the heads of these fusion centers convened a rare national call to discuss alarming information they had been gathering about the forthcoming Trump rally on Wednesday, January 6, 2021. According to one participant on that call, the fusion centers were seeing an unsettling amount of online posts about people planning to bring weapons to the event, raising the potential for violence. As per protocol, the participant said that information was funneled through the Washington, D.C. Fusion Center to the federal and local agencies that were in charge of handling security for January 6th. Fusion centers have no say in how their intelligence is used, and it is unclear what steps were taken in response to sharing that information. In a congressional testimony on Thursday, February 4, 2021, Christopher Rodriguez who oversees Washington, D.C.'s Fusion Center, said that the issue was not the lack of intelligence or the lack of information. Rather, the issue was the inability or the unwillingness to act on the available intelligence. The chief of the Capitol Police, Stephen Sund, who has since resigned, said the department lacked intelligence, including from DHS and the FBI, that suggested a coordinated attack on the Capitol was being planned according to a letter that he sent to congressional leaders back in February. On the eve of the rally, a report from the FBI's Norfolk, Virginia office warned of the potential for violence. The January 5 report cited online message board traffic attributed to one person, urging people to, quote, go there ready for war, and sharing maps of the Capitol complex. Officials said the report was shared with other law enforcement agencies within one hour through a joint terrorism task force that was based in Washington, D.C., which included other agencies and the Capitol Police. According to the FBI, this joint terrorism task force was the most efficient way to communicate threats. The information was also posted on a law enforcement portal accessible to agencies all over the country.
FBI officials said the information in the report was not corroborated and investigators were unable to link it to specific people, which therefore made follow-up difficult. A spokeswoman said the DHS simply never received it before the rally. At the DHS, then-Acting Secretary Chad Wolf chose not to declare a national special security event. So this designation of a national special security event is regularly used for gatherings such as political conventions, the State of the Union address, and previous Super Bowls. And it puts the U.S. Secret Service in charge of overseeing security and coordinating the responses of different agencies. Current and former DHS officials and national security experts have questioned publicly and in interviews why this was not done. According to a person familiar with the matter, Mr. Wolf simply never considered it. Officials said that the Office of Intelligence and Analysis of the Department of Homeland Security, I&A, which is the DHS's nerve center for monitoring online threats, battled politics and shifting demands in the months leading up to January 6. Under a rapid turnover of leaders, the Department of Homeland Security had struggled to adjust to the priorities of the Trump White House, which wanted the department to focus on border issues and immigration. The department therefore grappled with how to respond to the rise in domestic terrorism without drawing anger from former President Trump, whose base included supporters of far-right groups and causes. White House officials discouraged the use of the term domestic terrorism in planning policy strategy, and a complaint filed in September of 2020 by a top I&A official said that the Department of Homeland Security leaders had pressured him to water down threat assessments of white supremacist groups as well as the Russian election interference. The Department of Homeland Security has denied that there was any truth to the merits of that complaint, and the Trump White House denied that the former president downplayed domestic terrorism. After the killing of George Floyd on May 25, 2020, which set off um, national racial justice protests that sometimes became violent, the Office of Intelligence and Analysis increased its staffing to track those involved in nightly demonstrations in Portland, Oregon, which saw protesters impeached standoff with federal forces. In the aftermath, Congressional committees began scrutinizing I&A over reports that it collected information on protesters and journalists. Two House Democrats introduced legislation to tighten the oversight of I&A. In response, the intelligence branch ousted its chief, installed a career homeland security attorney, and scaled back its combing of social media, as well as its issuing of reports on domestic extremists. I&A also cut the number of night shift analysts, which is a prime time for online chatter, from 10 analysts to 2. Rules for what can be called from social media were also tightened, which prohibited the reporting of veiled or indirect threats. For example, if an analyst saw a posted image of an M16 machine gun with the caption, quote, join me for the January 6th rally, Reporting that image would not be allowed. An INA spokeswoman said that those changes were made 
quote, to correct for the inappropriate intelligent activities from 2020. She said the branch strengthened its intelligent collection process and did not reduce attention on domestic extremism post-Portland. She said that the agency issued a December 30, 2020 report about the heightened threat environment related to the election, although it did not mention January 6. After the January 6 events, INA officials said that INA did not warn about January 6 because previous election certifications by Congress had not seen trouble. Senior INA officials lacked specific credible intelligence and the DHS had not designated the event a national special security event. Three weeks after the January 6 riots, the Department of Homeland Security officials sent out the department's first ever national terrorism bulletin about violent domestic extremists. The bulletin said that such extremists, driven by a range of issues, are prone to more violence in the coming months. It warned that some of them are used the January 6th attack as inspiration. So this is all that happened um, about seven months ago regarding the January 6th riots on the U.S. Capitol, the intelligent failures and the confusion that led to this event and how it could have been predicted and prevented. And now, um, seven months after the fact, the the Department of Homeland Security is now considering firms, external firms, to analyze social media posts so that they wouldn't be able to miss the intelligence that were, that were basically pointing to something of that magnitude going down. So seven months after the January 6th riot, the Department of Homeland Security is now considering hiring private companies to analyze public social media for warning signs of extreme violence which has spurred debate within the agency over how to monitor for such threats while protecting Americans' civil liberties. The effort, which remains under discussion and has not received approval or funding, would involve sifting through large flows of internet traffic to help identify online narratives that might provide leads on developing attacks, whether from home or abroad. The initiative comes after the nation's intelligence community fails to sufficiently identify and share signs of the threats that led to the assault on the U.S. Capitol by a mob of pro-Trump supporters on January 6, 2021. John Cohen, who is the new head of the Department of Homeland Security Office of Intelligence and Analysis, I&A, is leading this project which it describes as part of an upgrade to the department's capabilities in social media analysis. According to him, a central part of that effort will be to leverage the expertise of outside companies and ramp up internal capabilities. This recent push by the DHS has sparked internal debates within the DHS and elsewhere in the Biden administration over long-standing tensions between civil liberties and security efforts. Some officials in the DHS and the White House are now worrying about government overreach. 
According to people familiar with DHS's efforts, the department needs to improve its capabilities after its intelligence arm failed to report social media posts ahead of the January 6th Capitol attack, a lapse that has since been the subject of several congressional probes. Interestingly, the basis of DHS's legal authority for the proposed expanded effort remains murky, partly because the definition of what is public is not necessarily settled. Adam Schwartz, who is an attorney at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the EFF, which is a non-profit organization that supports digital rights, said that the organization is wary of any government effort to gobble up more social media data, as that could lead to the information being stored forever and later mined to find leads on crimes. Mr. Schwartz made it clear that the EFF does not support an expansion of social media in the name of stopping the next attack on the Capitol. The US government currently lacks um, tracks broad swaths of publicly available information, but it faces constraints on what it can gather from social media. While policies vary across the government, some agencies such as the FBI often need evidence suggesting criminal activity in order to drill deeper into online behavior. On Friday, August 13, the DHS extended a national terrorism advisory that it has issued twice since January 6, 2021, highlighting concerns about violent extremism on social media. The advisory said that foreign and domestic extremists continue to call for violence against government facilities and law enforcement, among others. The advisory also added that this includes information regarding the use of improvised explosive devices and small arms. DHS's intelligence office detected online chatter threatening to disrupt President Biden's inauguration on January 20, 2021, prompting a security buildup that served as a deterrent that kept that event safe. Mr. Cohen said that particular lesson informed recent plans to increase capabilities. People familiar with internal DHS communications stated that DHS officials have stressed concerns about protecting civil liberties in discussions with dozens of research centers and government contractors. They said the department would not hire companies to monitor individuals, but would seek high-level data that indicate potential targets for violence and identify foreign influence campaigns from countries such as China or Russia, and all those information would be anonymized. One company involved in recent discussions with DHS called Logically worked on a government project last year that involved alerting U.S. election officials to online disinformation intended to dissuade Americans from voting. Logically uses artificial intelligence and human analysts to monitor online content at scale, seeking trends around misinformation. The company says it can identify emerging narratives much more easily than U.S. agencies and help them respond faster. Logically, CEO Larry Jane said his company could access public channels such as those on encrypted Telegram social network that some government officials cannot join under current rules. He added that his company could then share an analysis of any potential threats discerned with U.S. agencies and that legal limits would bar private analysts from sharing personal information of American participants without a court order. 
Mr. Cohen said the DHS would not engage with any outside group to acquire information that it is restricted from accessing. He declined to comment on the DHS intelligence office's current restrictions on accessing social media data, saying that doing so could allow threat actors to circumvent the office's efforts. He said that the high-level anal- analysis that the DHS receives would bolster security. According to him, quote, you never get intelligence that tells you the specific location that is at risk, but you may get information that tells you that an international terrorist group a domestic extremist group seeks to target a certain faith community or certain ethnic community, end of quote. Still, civil liberties advocates worry that such data, even when anonymized, could lead to government overreach. In intelligence reports, the Department of Homeland Security has previously identified as suspicious views including opposition to gun control and immigration, anger about the 2020 election result or the use of force by police or a belief in certain conspiracy theories. And this is according to Rachel Levinson-Waldman, who is the Deputy Director for the Liberty and National Security Program at the Brennan Center for Justice. So that's all I have for episode 48 of the Big Picture Podcast. The production, editing, fact-checking, audio engineering, and graphic design were all done by yours truly, Bidemilobinde. Please join me again on the next episode as I continue with a deep dive on cybersecurity topics, news, events, and incidents, and the lessons we can all learn from them for robust cyber threat intelligence and awareness in our daily lives. Make sure you follow, download, or subscribe to the Bain Picture Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please share the show with anyone that you think may benefit from it. For questions, comments, or any suggestions, please send an email to bdme at thebeadpicture.com. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter at beadpicture, as well as on the Clubhouse app at BID. Please remember to leave a review for the podcast if your platform allows you to do so. Thank you for your time, and see you on the next episode. Bye for now.